All right, and we are back once again to explore faith, pursue grace. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass, and this evening we are going to talk about something that Kevin and I, if if there were rankings for this, Kevin would most definitely have been a multiple degree black belt in it. And I would have probably been not far behind him with one or two stripes on my black belt, and that is using coercion and manipulation in religion. Um, it, it, maybe that's a little too harsh. Maybe you wouldn't quite be a black belt. <laughs> yeah, a black belt. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. All joking aside, though, I mean, coercion and manipulation is something that it kind of dovetails in a little bit with the last episode that we did in which we talked about setting firm boundaries. How do you set boundaries whenever you go through a faith transition? And one of the things that we discussed in that episode is that most people, if, if you take the posture in your mind that, that I take, that most people, whenever they come to you out of concern for your soul, they're acting in good faith. My default position is to think that they are acting in good faith until they prove that they are not. Yeah. But there are some people that whenever they come to you for whatever reason, they don't act in good faith. And the goal will be to coerce you back into the old pattern of thinking that you have surreptitiously left behind or to manipulate you into, or even gaslight you into thinking differently into questioning yourself into questioning everything else. Manipulation and coercion is something that is used in spades across the religious spectrum, especially within high authority fundamentalist groups. It's, it's a common tactic. It's a common mentality that exists. It's sad, but it's the truth. That's, it, that's just how it is. There's a lot yes. of manipulation and conversion that yeah. goes on. Well, and, and to clarify, so people don't think I'm a master manipulator. Um, I think that, uh, you know, that, that most people in religion, and this is what makes it dangerous in my opinion, um, they are, they're using coercion and manipulation um, inadvertently. They, they don't, they don't, or inadvertently, they don't even realize that it is something that they're doing or they don't even realize it's something that is being done to them. And so it ends up being perpetuated because they're simply doing what they were taught to do. And it just continues and it continues and it continues. And so uh, I would definitely put myself in that category. Um, however, me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are, you know, there are people out there um, and what really made me think about this do as a topic. And I talked to you about doing this as an episode are those who put themselves in situations and they're a, a, an authoritative figure or they're, are, they're in a position of authority and they do manipulate and they coerce people to do what they want them to do. And they use religion as kind of, as the backdrop and the motive motivating factor for it. Um, I just got done finishing Bethany and I both just what we love watching documentaries and we watched um, it's called keep sweet, pray and obey. And it's on Netflix right now. And it is about the, the F LDS, which is the fundamentalist church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it is a, a even much con more conservative and fundamentalist group that broke off of the typical standard Mormon church, which yeah. you know, we might end up doing an episode on that someday. But, uh, you know, most most Mormons and most uh, LDS members would look at what happened here and completely condemn it. So I'm not lumping them together at all. In fact, that's that's one reason why. 
um, the leader or what ended up becoming the leader of uh, named Warren Jeffs. That's why they ended up, you know, having their own group. And of course he was the son of, of one of the other leaders. Um, and honestly, I know, I know very little about it outside of the documentary. And of course I was familiar with Warren Jeffs because of the polygamy he involved himself in and how they taught that you had to have multiple wives and that, um, you know, it was a good thing. And they basically very patriarchal, very misogynistic teachings. And unfortunately, a lot of it, you know, came straight from scripture. Um, I discussed this in my, in my book, Blinded by the Bible, about how, you know, we've got to, we've got to get honest with the Bible and realizing that there's a lot of misogynistic ideas and patriarchal assumptions because, you know, misogyny didn't exist in the first century. It was no such thing. It was just called the world at that time. And so, (laughs) you know, the way things are, we, we, we now can look back and realize that, but um, that doesn't mean that we are to apply those same worldviews. You know, everybody talks about a biblical worldview um, outside of an attitudinal Christ- or Christocentric attitudinal, you know, hermeneutic. There really is no such thing as a biblical worldview because the Bible itself was written within worldviews. And so there's not like a biblical worldview. There's many worldviews that find themselves within the text of Scripture because it was written over hundreds and hundreds of years and different civilizations and, and time periods and cultures and all sorts of things. And so there's a lot of that in there. But anyway, the point is, is that they utilized a lot of those texts and of course they added in a lot of their own beliefs as well um but you know they were they were claiming the men to be prophets and and Warren Jeffs claimed to be the prophet of God and giving new revelation those types of things but it just made me realize how easy it is for us as humans to be duped for us to fall um for i you know just about any ideas and especially when it is under the name and under the banner of religion yeah and, you know, I mean, people would still probably accuse us and say, well, you know, you guys are still duped because you're still believing in Jesus and God and Christianity. But we did an episode on why we're still Christians. Um, and I do believe there are some faith statements made within that. But it just reminded me, watching this documentary, that when there are no guardrails for our beliefs, as I propose in my book, I believe that having a Christocentric attitudinal approach to Scripture provides us with universal guardrails. It provides us with with the objectiveness of Scripture that I believe has sorely been missing in Christianity throughout the years um, by many interpreters, and even today, where you know it, when there is no coherency. When there is no uh, consistency, when there are no guardrails, you can interpret the Bible to be, you can be as violent as you want to, you can be as mean as you want to, because there are no guardrails. But when you realize, at least as as I believe, that Jesus is our pattern, and Jesus gave us an attitude to mimic and a love ethic to live by then there are things that my interpretations could never lead me to do. And if I believe the interpretation is leading me to do those things, I need to abandon it because it contradicts uh, the greater understanding of who Jesus is and who God is. And it contradicts those guardrails. It contradicts those boundaries that those attitudinal truths provide for us as seen through Jesus Christ. But the reason why I want to do this episode is because when I watched that, I thought there was so there was a lot of similarities even though a lot more extreme, of course, there were a lot of similarities in how they really bought into what they were doing. 
they were not forced to 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 stay there. Um, any of the women could leave. Any of the men could leave at any time. Um, but because of coercion, because of manipulation, because of fear, they stayed. And they really believed what they were doing. And we always have to remember that. When it comes to conviction, no matter how dumb, no matter how insane or crazy we think somebody's view is, a conviction is a conviction, and they will believe an error just as much as we would believe truth. Or let's reverse that. We may be believing error just as much someone else may be, be believing truth. And so just because we think it's crazy, just because it may be demonstrably crazy, doesn't mean that it takes away from that person's conviction in really believing it's true. And go ahead, Lee. No, that's fine. Um, I I think that that's, it's incredibly important to remember that what it is that compels you to think what you think and believe what you believe. A lot of times it's the sum accumulation of life experiences that undergirds so much of what we believe in practice, because yeah. we've either been told it and we inherit it, or we have experientially um, dealt with it ourselves. We've experienced it for ourselves. And the same thing is true for anybody else that holds to a particular conviction that holds that conviction in good faith. I, I was just going to say that. That's it. Sorry. Well, and, you know, with with specifically, um, you know, dealing with when I was watching this documentary with uh, the FLDS and 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 learning more about, um, you know, what they believe now. Obviously, I think Warren Jeffs, when you start realizing he was, you know, having sex with 12 year olds. You know, you start to think, okay, this guy, I doubt, I don't, I don't know the amount of sincerity in his heart. You know, I'm still going to be careful because he was raised that way with his father. And so I don't know. I mean, I, when someone has been conditioned, I'm not, let me make this clear. I'm not justifying anything he's doing. I'm simply saying, I'm not sure if he was doing these things, knowing this was all just a bunch of garbage and crap. And he was just utilizing this to, for his own sake and power and money. And he knew it was all a big farce or if he actually believed he was really a prophet of God. I don't know. Um, but I do know that these women, you know, when you when you when you're watching this, you're like, how could someone give over their 12 year old daughter to this man and and think that's the right thing? You know, how could a woman give over their 12 year old daughter to have sex with this with this man? Like what like like what is going on? And when you have been conditioned, when you have truly, you know, I call it spiritual grooming. When you've been spiritually groomed to believe a, a certain doctrine or to behave a certain way, it is so, 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 so difficult to unwire that or to rewire that. And that's why Lee and I are so passionate about this podcast, because we know what it's like to be fully bought into a system and later realize that this was this was horrible. The system itself is horrible. Not the people in the system, but the system itself. It was bearing bad fruit. It's disastrous, has horrible consequences. And yet we were we were a part of that for so many years. And yeah. so that goes back to why you were saying we were we were both part of this. I knew you knew um, how to go in there and can quote unquote convert someone. And I just want to talk about some of these tactics a little bit and why. First of all, to watch out for these red flags, but also why they're bad and why they're dangerous and how people can get so caught up. Even if it's not as extreme as the FLDS, 
it still can be very harmful. It still can be very dangerous, as we've discussed. And so, you know, first of all, realize that most people who are in a legalistic fundamentalist system, whether it's the Churches of Christ, whether it's the Baptists, whether, you know, it's a Pentecostal group, a Church of God, whatever, most of those people are good-hearted people. And they are doing what they're doing because they were groomed, they were conditioned by other people who were conditioned, by other people who were conditioned, and it just continued to perpetuate itself. It's just a self-perpetuating system. And, you know, I recognized that early on, fear really motivates people. And I I talk about my, you know, I've talked about my sister who died in a car wreck when um, I was 13 and she was 17. And uh, I had a, a, a older minister say, well, you should talk about that story at a youth event to really get these young people to realize the brevity of life. So, okay, yeah, you know, if, if it could help lead someone to Christ, I'm all about that. So I was uh, 17 years old and I went to a youth rally and spoke with a bunch of other teenagers and talked about my sister dying, you know, who was 17 years old when she passed away and how I was 13 when it happened. And, you know, here I am now my sister's age. And I'm like, you know, she didn't know she was going to die that morning. And basically you could, you could die on the way home. (laughs) And uh, I remember people were crying. People came down forward and and they were, you know, rededicating their lives and all this. And I just thought, man, this is great. Like, look at how many people are changing. Look at how many people are really wanting to live for Christ. You know, this is really helping them. And so, as a young teenager, I, I use that story a lot. And, uh, you know, each time I feel like I got a little bit better at telling that story, a little more emotional at telling that story. Um, not that I was faking anything at all, but I felt like this is, this is helping people. And now I look back in, in disgust, um, you know, at how I didn't even realize I was manipulating people. Um, <laughs> you know, not once again, not, not intentionally, but, you know, you can get anybody, and this is why I have some beef with church camps. Now, I love church camps, and I think that they are done right. I don't think church camp in and of itself is an issue, but I think the theology taught at church camps can uh, can can really, what's being done there can really, really, really hurt uh, folks for a long time. And uh, the, the manipulation that can be done there, um, you know, when you get a group of kids together, and they're away from everybody else for a week, and they're hearing these emotional stories. They're they're hearing how they need to rededicate their life to the Lord. You know, I I, I tell people all the time, I was really good at getting people to cry and come down forward. Um, what I wasn't very good at is getting people to truly change their lives, and those are two completely different things. I, I've got to share this story. I'd be remiss if I didn't, and I'm, I hesitate to share it just because of the. The levity, um, well, for levity's sake, maybe I should share it, but church camp, you're talking about that. I have experienced that, and it cost me a lot of money one year because we went, and there was this talk about all this satanic music that was out there. And I mean, this is before you could stream pretty much every song that had ever been recorded on Apple Music or Spotify yeah. or whatever. You remember we had those big CD binders? Oh, yeah. yeah. Still I, I have man. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I still have one of mine. I don't know if the CDs are any good in it anymore. I like if they even work because you can have digital corruption. But anyway, no, I had a uh, I, I burned. We they had a big CD burning night one night where you could burn all that satanic music and and I was conv- and I'm a music lover, man. I mean, music's in my blood. 
And I went and I burned probably close to $200 worth of CDs because I had a really big CD binder. Burned probably about half of what was in it. And you know what I did about, oh, within the next six months, bought all those albums that I had burned yeah, at church camp, yeah. bought them all again. So like what you're saying about, you can make someone come down and cry. You can even convince somebody to take. And when you're a teenager and you're not making any money and you're, I mean, $200 worth of CDs, that's not a lot of money for me now, but as a teenager, yeah. dude, that was a small fortune. I mean, that was a King's ransom. So yeah, you can, you're You can be really good at making someone come down and cry. You can be really good at making someone convincing someone that they need to take all of their satanic music and their CDs and burn them. But did they really change? I didn't. Like I said, I turned around and went and eventually bought back all the CDs that I had ended up burning. And I think that that's a testament to what, to the point that you're making here. Yeah, well, I mean, you get a lot of group, you know, group thinking, and uh, you, especially when you're at camp or when you're at retreats. And, and I have no problem with camps and retreats in and of themselves. In fact, I think, uh, you know, if, if you're with good open-minded theology and the point's not to see how many people you can baptize and dunk underwater just so you can advertise that. Same thing with, with, with missionaries in the Churches of Christ. You know, they'd say, oh, we baptized 300 people this week. And I'm like, well, every month you write, because this church supports you and you write about how you baptize 300 people a week. And yet, you know, when we go over there, there's only like seven people at your congregation. Where are they all at? Well, they all fell away. You know, nobody's faithful. And I, I know of, of folks who use this tactic and, and, and I'm careful when I say use this tactic because they, most of them, what I'm talking about now are not the Warren Jeffs. I'm talking about people who really think this, like myself, really thought this is what we're supposed to be doing because you see immediate results. It's kind of like weight loss, right? I can starve myself for a couple of days and see a lot of weight loss. Like if I go four or five days without eating any food, I'm going to see some massive weight loss. But that's not good for me. That's not healthy for me. I'm not doing it the right way. I'm going to end up gaining all that weight back and then some. What I need to be taught is how to do it properly, right? I need to realize that this isn't some emotional, you know, uh, thing where I just one night say, oh, I'm never going to eat sweets again, or I'm never going to do this again. And and you see this a lot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of Weight Watchers and you'll see people who are like, you know, I'm going to never worked out a day in my life, but starting Monday, it's always Monday, starting Monday, I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go work out for an hour and then run for 30 minutes before work. And I'm going to do this five days a week. And then the next week rolls around and they're like, yeah, I, my alarm went off at five and I, I you know, hit the snooze and I haven't worked out any this week. Um, the point is you can get emotional for a short period of time. You can get people to say they're going to do something, to commit to an idea but committing, saying you're verbally getting or getting someone to verbally commit to an idea or cry or get emotional about something is not the same thing as actual commitment. And I think when you, you know, you do have some people, by the way, who who are actually committed through manipulation and fear because they're consistently um, have these tactics used against them, especially fear. Fear is a big one. But you know, kind of getting before we get into that, I want to talk about this this kind of short term before we get into the long term manipulation. I want to talk about short term manipulation and coercion because there are two types. You know, I call it the short term. There's a lot of types, but I'm talking about the short term and the long term. And you know, a lot of times with youth, it's the short term. Yeah. And uh, you know, I baptized a lot of people. Well, I say a lot of people. I baptized a handful of people. Um, you know, when I was uh, when I was in my, when I was in high school. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, this is great. This is great. And, and I really didn't teach them anything. I just scared the crap out of them because I, <laughs> told, 
you know, I told them if they didn't do this, they were going to go to hell. And, and, you know, they were terrified, absolutely terrified. And so, you know, here they are. Never, A lot of them never been to church a day in their life, didn't know much about religion, but they didn't want to go to hell. And so if all they had to do was get in water and their sins would be forgiven. And yeah, okay, that's fine. And then I'm like, well, why are you not going to church? Oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't care about that anymore. And then, they're, and then, you know, a couple of weeks goes by, a month goes by, and then they could care less and they're doing what they're doing before. And so when you when you think about, you know, this idea of coercion and manipulation, it usually comes from a place of sincerity, comes from a place of ignorance, people not even realizing that's what they're doing. Um, but some of, some of the red flags to look out for is uh, what I call sensationalism and emotionalism. You could probably speak a lot to this, Lee, being, you know, in the Pentecostal church. Um, I, I even am very careful today as, as grace-centered and as, you know, quote-unquote liberal and progressive, whatever people want to call me that I am now. The Holy Spirit is still something that I'm very suspect about. I, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but... You know, I, I do believe the Holy Spirit works in my life, and I do pray. But I'll be honest with you, there's been a lot of times where I can just say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm projecting these ideas into what's happening. And so I'm saying this is God answering the prayer. I'm saying this is God doing that. I mean, anybody can do that. And so I'm probably a little too skeptical at times <laughs> in some ways, but I've seen how much it has been abused and how easily people can use the Holy Spirit and say, oh, well, if you're if you're feeling that fear, that's the Holy Spirit. He's working on your heart. And people do this a lot when it comes to money. You know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I've, I've watched several services where they would have an emotional speaker and they would come and, and, you know, great dynamic speaker. And then they would pass the plate and, uh, you know, they would, they would get everyone real revved up about the importance of giving and they would give maybe a, a sob story or something. And then that's when they would pass the plate around. And then, you know, people sign up and they're like, well, crap, man, I didn't mean to sign up for this. And then they end up canceling it because they, they just got caught up in the moment. And that's not conviction. You know, that's not, even though that's popular and it works for the short term, that's not true conviction. Now, the, the other kind that I do want to talk about is more of that long-term coercion that ends up being conviction. Um, you know, that, that manipulation. And I think that's really what's dangerous. And yes, what usually that 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 can usually be defined by fear. Um, fear is something that you know most people, by the way, are called up. Those who are manipulating through fear are often manipulated by fear already. <laughs> yes. So just remember that. So if someone is manipulating you through fear, that means that they are probably already manipulated by fear. And you know, I talked to a guy the other day. Um, about an issue, and he told me oh, I was going to hell because of my belief and all this other stuff. And I said, well, so first of all, I haven't believed in an eternal conscious torment view of hell f- for like seven or eight years. I said, second of all, I'm, I'm now really a Christian universalist anyway. I said, so I understand you think I'm going to go to hell, but there's going to be no amount of times you can repeat that that's going to scare me. Number one, I believe you're wrong. Number two, I believe I'm right. And number three, even if I am wrong, I believe God's grace has me, um, you know, number whatever I'm on. Uh, even if even if that's not the case, I still think I'm going to be burning in etern- you know, eternal conscious torment. I said, you're driven. And I told him this. I said, you're driven by fear. And I even have heard people say, if you take the eternal conscious torment view out of Christianity, you lose most of your Christians. Yeah. And and I think, and, I, and by the way, people have told me that who believe in eternal conscious torment. Someone said, Kevin, if people don't think 
that they're if if they don't obey God, they're not going to be burning in hell for eternity, being tormented. Then why are they coming to church to begin with? And I'm like, well, yeah. dude, that's a question that I used to ask myself like, <laughs> because I was driven by fear. I was yeah. that guy that was driven by that, that perspective that if I don't do this, if I don't drink out of one cup every Sunday, if I make sure, you know, if my baptism wasn't done in the right way for the right reason, if every single part of my body didn't go under the water, good grief, my salvation is suspect at best. And I could end up in an eternal flaming torture chain chamber at worst. Yeah. So yeah, bro. Yeah. You're singing my song here. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's, uh, that's why when, you know, you look at people and they, that they, you can kind of know where, where someone, uh, how they're driven, you know, what, not when I say their motivation, I don't mean like their, their attitude behind it, but what motivates them to, to do what they're, what they think they need to do. And when someone constantly focuses on hell and sin and fear, that's telling me that you're only doing this because you're so afraid. You've been coerced and manipulated through fear that if you take that fear away, which, you know, First John 4, 17 through 19 teaches that there's no no fear in a perfect love. And so how in the world can I love God um, simply because I'm terrified of what might happen. That's the exact opposite of love. That's not, that's not the kind of love, a perfect love that I'm to have in my relationship with God. And we've, we've dealt with that some on an episode where we talked about fear, but this just has more to do with, with, you know, manipulation in general, or even manipulation of, of, uh, we talked about this in the last episode of people saying, well, what's going to happen if you do change? And you're going to lose, you know, you're, it may not even be necessarily like fear of an eternal conscious torment, but maybe fear of the here and now that if you do change your view on this, well, you may lose your job if you're an employed minister, or you may lose your whole community, or you may lose your spouse, or you may lose your family, or you may lose your friends. And so people will say that to keep, to keep them where they're at. But then also another another sign, and I'm and I'm wanting to get more into studying the behavior of cults because I feel like a lot of Christian fundamentalism is is very reflective of cult like behavior. Now I have it, a book that I need to send you the title of. Remind me when we go off the air and I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and go ahead and text it to me while I'm talking. But well, I don't remember what it is. I'm gonna have to find it on my shelf. But but yeah. Anyway, so go ahead. Sorry. Well, man. well I'm just you know I'm trying to learn more because I feel like you know we're we're kind of reaping the consequences right now of what has happened with, you know, our families, um, you know, our, my parents, my grandparents, you know, most of them were raised in this fear and we're seeing so many people just leaving Christianity altogether right now. And by the way, I, I just want to put a side point in. It's interesting to me that the people complaining about, you know, children and raising children are the very ones who've raised the generation who are, who are no longer doing what they think they need to be doing. I just, I kind of find that interesting. <laughs> there is an uh, irony there, but you know, it's, it's like, these are like, you know, you're talking about children these days. It's like, well, these are, you know, your children and grandchildren. So, but uh, you know, I, I think there's a, I don't, I don't think this is just happenstance. I, I don't think this is just coincidence. I think that there's a reason why. And I think because, you know, fear thrives in ignorance. Okay. So if I can keep people limited on what they hear, what they see, what they do, then it's easier for me to, to control that way. 
And, you know, the, the more that I'm exposed to different ideas, the more that I read books that don't coincide with what I believe, the more I'm going to learn. And, you know, that was something, Lee, that when I started to change, I, re- I realized very rarely did I go outside of not just Churches of Christ material, but material written by approved members of the Church of Christ, like those who told me, well, you know, this this is approved information you can read. And when I wrote my first book, the school that I went to actually uh, told people, you know, not to read the book. It said, oh, wow. which was great for me because they all went out and bought the book. They read it. That's right. But, uh, but, but they were trying, you know, and, and they, they were, were basically, I was at that point pretty aggressive um, when I first started changing. I was writing a lot of articles. And so people were taking those and talking about them uh, because I had some friends there. And um, some of the professors were like, no, 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 you know, this isn't allowed. Do not read these. Then finally, when it got to that point, they're like, well, okay, since everybody's reading them, we're going to take them, and, and each week we're going to address a different article, and uh, we're going to show why it's wrong. And, and that's that's kind of another sign is of coercion, is feeling like you're always having to circle the wagons. You yeah. know, I, I always have to feel like if someone is reading something different, I'm clearly marking it as bad as false doctrine, they're the enemy, they're the bad guys. And we even use that language. I was listening to, because I still listen to conservative Church of Christ preachers every now and then. My wife's like, why do you do that? I said, because I think it's important I never forget where I came from. And it's important to remember that that's where I used to be. And it helps me to actually have empathy um, and sympathy when I can kind of be reminded of that. And this, this guy, he was up there preaching at a lectureship, and he said uh, he was actually talking about Rubel Shelley. This was a lectureship this year. I'm like, guys, Rubel Shelley, like, dude, like, like most people don't even know who that is anymore because, like, you know, people have been calling him a false teacher since the 70s, but, I mean, he's just kind of the easy target everybody talks about and uh, the 70s and 80s. And so this guy, he's, he's my age, and he's like, yeah, you know, it's so sad to see preachers like Rubel Shelley once sound in the faith, and they just gave up the truth so that they could start teaching error. And the way that that was worded, and that's how that's what he said, um, you know, just gave up the truth so that he could start teaching error. And it's like, do we really believe that? Like one day he's like, yeah, I'm teaching the truth. Huh? I don't want the truth anymore. I want error. And it's like, <laughs> really? Same thing. You know, Kevin abandoned the truth so that he could go out and Shelley. preach error. You know, it's like really, it's, but so it's even in our it's even in our vocabulary. We 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 have to demonize, we have to dehumanize anybody who could possibly present an idea that contradicts with what we already believe. So it's not enough to say, you know, here's some different ideas. It's well, here's some false doctrine if you want to compare it to see how wrong it is, right? Like, and, and that's a logical fallacy. It's poisoning the well. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm set, yeah. I'm setting it up for failure, and we did this in yes. preaching school. You know, there was someone who uh, was a member of the Church of Christ who had written a book about the Holy Spirit, and someone said, "Well, I don't recommend reading it because he's a known he's a well known false teacher." I love that well known false teacher, right? And uh, they're like, "Well, he's a well known false teacher, so I wouldn't read that." And they said, "But if you do," and th- by the way, he was still a member of the Churches of Christ. He just had a different view on the Holy Spirit, and he was an older preacher. They said, "But if you do, just keep in mind this is heresy." 
and it's dangerous and that it has it has actually converted some people to error by reading it. So just keep that in mind. So your guard is like not only up, but I mean, you have like it's guard upon guard upon degree, guard. Yeah. You're like, all right, everything in here is false doctrine, but I'm going to read it just so I can know how to refute it. So when when you see tactics like that, that's why I'm very careful now. You know, when we talk about our podcast, let's bring people on who have different views. Let's let's talk about people who we disagree with in respectful ways. Let's even point them to resources and say, hey, you know, I, in fact, someone was asking me about the genocides and about Lee, uh, about um, Lee, about uh about um, Dr. Uh, Grant Testu. Yeah, Grant Testu. Goodness, his name just, just skipped my mind there. It uh, happens, man. Well, I was thinking Lee Grant, Grant Lee. Yeah, so, uh, you know, but 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 about Grant Testu. And they're like, well, you know, but this is just, you know, one perspective. I'm like, sure, you know, if you want to learn about more, there's a view called, you know, the four views of the Canaanite genocide. And, you know, there's Paul Copen's book, um, Is God a Moral Monster, in which he argues the exact opposite of everything we discussed in our uh, podcast. And I, and I think that, uh, he's, he's a good Bible student. Do I disagree with him? Yes. But I'm not going to say, don't listen to what he has to say. I'm not going to say that he's a false teacher who doesn't care about truth. He is, in my opinion, someone who is well studied, but I just am not going back to what we said last week. I'm not convinced by his arguments. And I think there are better ways of looking at those texts, but I'm not going to discourage somebody else from taking a look at it. In fact, to me, the more, we can look at material um, in some ways. In you know, some cases, it can make things a little more difficult, but I think it also at least exposes us to ideas to know that they're out there, to know that you know w- when we keep ourselves, so, and, and I'm careful to use this word shelter, because I do think there is protection. We need to be careful in those types of things. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, you know, if, if, if you're raising a child and, you know, I don't think at night you should say, well, we're going to read one story from the Bible and one story from Richard Dawkins and, you know, let you decide. I mean, I, I think there has to be some wisdom <laughs> and common sense. But the point is, is that people have to be willing to decide for themselves. And these tactics we're talking about, what it does is it's it's this long-term manipulation that does lead to conviction, but conviction through coercion and conviction through fear. And people aren't leaving, not because they want to stay, but because they're terrified of what may happen. And, yeah. and, and that really got me thinking, okay, well, if God, if people are only staying with God simply because he's bigger and badder than them, how is that any different than any other abusive relationship? I mean, you know, it's like... Um, if someone kidnaps someone and they're like, well, you're free to roam around my house, but you know, I do have traps set up. That's going to make it difficult. But if you do escape, I'm going to come find you and I'm going to kill you. Um, I, I don't really think if a person's staying, they're really staying because they want a healthy relationship. They're, they're just staying because they're terrified of what may happen if they leave. And if religion is built upon that, or if your religion, if your faith is built upon that, then I dare say that you're being manipulated. I think that you are you are truly being coerced. Now, some people know that, and they're like, I don't care because this is the God I believe in. I believe God is the you know big bad God. Uh, if he can do what he wants to, and I say big bad loosely, they wouldn't say that way. But you know, God is sovereign, and if God tells me he's going to send me to hell if I do one thing wrong, then, oh, that's, that's it, and that's the God I believe in. Well, do you never question? You know, do you never question that view? And... I always bring this point up because 
I think a lot of these tactics also minimize critical thinking and processing. You know, you'll hear this a lot. Well, I just trust in God. I just, I just trust God. Or what you're doing is you're, you know, views that say don't question, just trust are actually minimizing critical thinking. And I don't believe, I point this out in my book, passages such as Isaiah 55, 8, 9, and Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that talk about trusting in God and not leaning on your understanding. Those are not talking about suppressing you know, compassion or minimizing critical thinking or abandoning critical thinking at all. That's not what those passages are talking about. Um, in Isaiah 55, 8, 9, it's actually talking about mercy and how trusting in God's ways seem weird because God's so merciful and humans are not. Uh, but we have to trust that mercy is the best way to go. That's what that's talking about. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, is simply saying there are going to be times in your life where you don't always have the answer. You know, it's just a simple proverb that we just need to be willing sometimes when we're, when we are convinced just to trust in God doesn't mean that we're not to have critical thinking or be logical people. It just means there are times we have to make faith statements, but those faith statements, if, if they're too convenient, if those faith statements are serving a cause that go against those Christocentric attitudes that, that I talk about in my book and that we've discussed here, then at that point in time, I'm really not trusting in God anymore. I am trusting in myself or I may be trusting in another person. Well, one of the things that's really interesting to me is what you just said about critical thinking. And this just came to mind earlier whenever you were talking about the book on the Holy Spirit written by this older brother, this older preacher. Now, people said, well, you know, don't don't read this book. You know, it's a the terminology that would be used in the one cup group would be, well, he's a dangerous author. This is a dangerous yeah. book. And well, you know, he's a well-known false teacher. That entire statement has so many fallacies laden within it manipulation thrives with logical fallacy manipulation thrives on abandoning critical thinking yes yeah. poisoning the well you have an ad hominem attack you have a um oh what is it i just went blank on the other fallacy but there were three different fallacies that came up in that entire um, statement that was made all of those statements made about this person and about their book they were based they weren't based on critical thinking or good logical reasoning it was it was fallacy laden and most manipulation is if you're able to identify that and you see it it's it, it becomes a little bit more clear and a little bit more plain but most people don't even realize that they're engaging in fallacy whenever they're right in the middle of it yeah, when they're no. making statements like that. They don't realize that they're poisoning the well. They don't realize that they are, um, oh, what's the word? Engaging in an ad hominem attack. They don't realize they're engaging in no true Scotsman. They don't realize that they're engaging in in two Coke or um, um, ad hoc ergo propter hoc. They don't realize that they're engaging in fallacious reasoning to make the statements that they make. And whenever they realize that that's the case, at least for me, it's helped me to be able to undo even a lot of those phantoms that still exist in my own brain related yeah. to fear and everything else. It's made it a little easier for me, That's but, right. but it is really, really difficult whenever you have people that are trying to prey on that fear. And it is a, it is a measure of coercion. It is a measure of manipulation and things are taken out of context. It is difficult to deal with, but if one remains resolute 
and one sees through it. I, I really don't know what I'm trying to say here. I had some place that I was going. <laughs> I don't. I don't really know where I was going here. But it, well, it, it, it makes me frustrated um, when I see. Yes. Because as you pointed out, I mean, this is something in my debates. I use this tactic without realizing it. I would even yeah. say things like this. I would say, if you go back and you listen, I mean, I, I mean, I could point out all of these tactics in my book and, and how they were, it was more about, uh, even though I would say it wasn't emotionalism, it was truth. It was all, it was emotionalism. I would say things like, well, you know, even if instrumental music, let's just say for a moment, it's not wrong. It won't send you to hell to use in worship. And I said this in the debate. I said, even if that's the case, we know not using it is perfectly acceptable. And so to be on the safe side why would you even put yourself in a position to possibly be wrong with God? Because you know for a fact it's okay. And, and that's what the, the you know, brethren in the One Cup Church of Christ would say. You know, that's what they told me. Which yes. is funny because I would use that argument when I was trying to persuade someone. But when someone would try to persuade me, I'm like, mm, no, you know, that's not going to work. But, uh, you know, because they would tell me, well, Kevin— you know, you believe using one container for the Lord's Supper is perfectly acceptable. What if you're wrong and using more than one container can send you to hell? Wouldn't you rather just be on the safe side? Isn't it acting out of out of faith just to say, well, I know this for certainty using one container is going to be okay. But if there's even just a point zero 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 one chance, you know, percent chance that using instrumental music or multiple cups might be wrong. Why would you even want to take that chance? And, you know, I, I got into a conversation with a guy who he kind of tipped his hat, uh, his head for, uh, early um, in the in the the conversation because he said, uh, you know, he was tipping his hand a little bit early. He said, well, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And, you know, they believe I'm going to hell because I no longer believe you have to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath. But he was telling me I was going to hell because of some, you know, because of you I held now. And I said, and he used the same argument. He goes, well, wouldn't you rather, you know, even though you think you're right and you've given arguments as to why you think you're right, um, you know, what if you're wrong? Wouldn't you rather just be on the safe side? And I said, well, do you ever think that about the Sabbath? You were convinced at one point in time. You were very certain you were right about that you had to keep the Sabbath. And now you claim you don't have to anymore. I said, but what if you were right then and you're wrong now? And I was I was showing him his inconsistency, but he was like, "Well, you know, I hadn't thought about that." I'm like, "Oh, great, you know, I'm." I'm <laughs> you just gave someone an existential crisis. Yeah, you know, like that's not what I'm trying to do. But the point is, is that that is a completely different framework from how Jesus taught us to relate to Him. Yeah, um, Jesus taught us to use faith, not fear, and there is no fear in love because love casts out fear, and so. You know, when you when you think about acting in faith, acting in faith doesn't say, well, just in case, right? Like you never read of anyone in Scripture saying, I'm going to do this just in case. Peter always acted in faith because it's like, well, hey, I'm going to do what I think is right. And faith, it, it, you know, I tell people it's a, it's a surefire way to know you're not acting in faith if you use the phrase just to be on the safe side. Yeah, I said there's nothing. Uh, there's no safe side on faith, right? I mean, you know, Peter wasn't like, well, I could step out and walk on the water, but just to be on the safe side, I'm going to stay in the boat. No, he went out there and he tried. Now he failed, but he tried, which was better than the other guys who didn't even try. The point is, is that faith is where we should we should be operating from a place of faith, not fear. 
And yet, even though Christianity, we claim, is a faith religion, it has turned into a fear religion, which makes it no different than any other religion that says we do this because we're terrified of God and we're terrified of what might happen if we if we end up just taking the, the wrong step one day accidentally. We're so terrified of God, it paralyzes us. And so we're manipulated by this fear, so we're going to manipulate others by this fear. And you see this, when people go out and repent, you're going to go to hell, repent, you're going to go to hell. They're terrified. They themselves are terrified they might be wrong. And that terror breeds more terror. Trauma breeds more trauma. Fear breeds more fear. And whenever your faith, it's really not faith at all whenever it's predicated on fear, but I don't know what other term to use, but if your faith is centered in that fear, that I think you've put it beautifully tonight because... I mean, I remember whenever I was baptized into the churches of Christ, I was baptized in the Pentecostal church when I was, I think, 11 or 12 years old. And in the churches of Christ, Kim and I had been dating for a while. And I think I was 20 whenever I was baptized into the churches of Christ. And I would tell the story and I would tell it with pride whenever I was in the pulpit. And now I just, I just kind of laugh a little bit at, at <laughs> myself, but we were sitting at my in-laws kitchen table. We were studying and I had been thinking about it for a long time. And at that point I was convinced that I needed to be baptized after weeks yeah. of studying. I, I just knew this is what I needed to do. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll get in the car. We'll drive up to the church building. The church building was 11 miles away from their house. We'll get on the highway. We'll drive up there. We'll run the water. We'll make it happen. And I said, well, you've got a pool in your backyard. And they said, well, yeah, but we haven't cleaned that pool in like two years. Like th there was like green and red and yellow algae floating in it. There were frogs in it. I mean, that was probably like this mega ultra mosquito city in there. Like It was the nastiest water ever. But I opted to be baptized in that nasty water because I was so afraid that if we drove up to the church building and we got in a wreck on the way up there and I died, I'd go to hell. Oh yeah. And yeah. so that's how my my conversion within the churches of Christ came to be. It was predicated on fear. And so naturally the way that I would seek to motivate people it was it was the same tactic that you used whenever you were at church camp that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. is whenever the invitation came I had no problem you know, speaking and saying, this could be your last night on earth. These could be your final moments. Are you ready to meet God? Are you able to meet God whenever you stand in eternity before, or you stand in judgment before the almighty facing eternity on the other side of those pearly gates? Will you yeah. walk through or will you be rejected from heaven because you rejected God? What will it be for you today? And what is that but a but praying on the fear of those that are hearing that message, mm -hmm. trying to motivate someone through that fear, trying to manipulate someone through that fear. Fear begets fear. You're right on the money with that. Well, and you use, and I say you use, we, we use, people use who do this, intangibles. So they say things like, well, if you're questioning and you are using critical thinking, that's Satan. Satan's gotten a hold of you. You know, Satan's the one causing you to doubt. And uh, and then if someone is questioning, you know, whether they should do something, well, that's the Holy Spirit saying you should, you know, you should do this. And it's just, you know, there, there, there's these intangibles that people use to manipulate emotions. 
And when people, you know, I, I mean, I've talked to so many people who've gone through the same thing. And, you know, it's kind of easy when you come out of it. It's like a magic trick. Yep. You see, when you see a magic trick, you know, you can be like, wow, you know, this, this guy just floated or this, you, know, you see this woman, she's able to make this disappear or do this or do that. And, you know, it's, it's really cool. It's really neat. And then when you're explain how the trick's done, you can't unsee it. In fact, the only time, the only thing you see when you see the trick is how it's is in your mind, all you're seeing is how it's done. It's kind of how I feel now with fundamentalism is these, these, these tactics and, you know, everything is, is salvinic in nature, meaning that it's always about saving and protecting and, you know, and it's, it's under the guise of noble things. You know, we've got to save ourselves and our families. We have to protect ourselves from false doc, doctrine and false teachers. And it sounds really good, um, but it's self-serving. And it's just very manipulative um, without, once again, without even realizing that's what it is until you know how it's done, until you go back and you're looking like, wow, I mean... There was so much sensationalism and emotionalism in what I was doing without realizing it, like inadvertently. I mean, I were I was participating in these things, and you know, a lot of it too. I, I put a little Facebook message up the other day about how you know, it can be about gotchas and sound bites and just making people look dumb and taking people out of context. And you know, people are already doing that with this book, uh, Blinded by the Bible. You know, people are. I told Bethany, I said. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about what I would have done 10 years ago if I would have heard somebody wrote a book called Blinded by the Bible. You know, I would have written a, re, a rebuttal called Blinded by Kevin Pendergrass or something like that. But, uh, he, you know, people are already doing things like that. And they're saying, you know, Kevin's saying, you know, you can't trust the Bible. Kevin's saying that, you know, the Bible is not worthy of study. Kevin, it, it, complete misrepresentation and in a lot of cases, just complete untruths. Um, of, of what I'm saying and what I'm teaching, but people don't know that they're just going to hear that. And it's that fear. It's that fear that, well, if you read this, you may end up believing this. And if you believe this, you're going to be a false teacher too. And, um, kind of the same thing people did with you, you know, don't, don't be with, you know, don't hang out with Kevin. I mean, if you keep doing this podcast then yeah, you know, he's going to be a negative influence. And by the way, influence is true. We're, we're always influenced by people. And this is what I tell people. So look, I'm already allowing myself to be influenced by you. So why do you care if I go allow myself to be influenced by somebody else for a little while and make up my own mind on what I think is right or not? Because, you know, when you've been able to condition someone for 20 years of their life, that's influence. And you're now upset because, and this is the big C word, control. You're losing the control. And that is what, unfortunately and predominantly, Religion as a whole, including Christianity, it's no exception to this. People have taken religion and they've used it as forms of being able to control. Yes. Um, so that they can have power and that it can benefit them, you know, and that's that's what a lot of this comes back to, unfortunately. And so, you know, what we've talked about that. I mean, there's a lot more we could discuss, um, but I want to just as we wrap up, I want to talk here at the latter part about how we can identify it. I've talked a little bit about that, but also some ways we can overcome it to make sure that we're not manipulating. And the first thing that I want to just quickly mention is, you know, be aware of anyone who is limiting your exposure to different ideas. 
Yes. Um, you know, when someone is, is, you know, we, everybody, you know, the word, the phrase cancel culture seems to be very popular these days. And the, the thing is both, both uh, liberal and conservatives are doing the same, the same thing, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not unique to just one group, right? I mean, the idea is, well, we don't like what you're doing, so we're not, we don't want other people to know about it, or we disagree with you. So we don't want people to see what you have to say. And that happens. I mean, that's, that's always happened. It's 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 nothing really new. I think it's just more well known, um, and it's happening more on, on a bigger scale. But when you have people who are telling you do not read certain books, or do not pursue certain topics, or certain authors, that is a red flag. <laughs> yes, you know, that that in and of itself. When if if someone says do not listen to this person, um. I'm even okay if someone just says, well, I disagree with him. So just kind of be, you know, maybe beware of, of some of the things they're saying. I'm even fine with that. But to go as far to say, you know, they're a false teacher. They can't be trusted. They're dangerous is the word used earlier. That's the kind of language that is controlling. It's manipulative because what you're basically doing is you're trying to coerce people not to do that. And if they do that, you're already giving them a filter for how they should view that instead of saying, well, hey, you know, this is what I believe. You can go read this book if you want to see what someone else says who disagrees with me, then, then that's fine. Versus, oh, well, I believe this and I believe the truth. But if you want to read what somebody else says who's wrong, you can you can read this and you're going to see just how wrong they are. And keep in mind, they're really good at making error sound like truth you know, and, 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 and that type of stuff. Um, so that's one way. Another, another way is something else you can watch out for is when people do really play on your emotion. Um, when people, you know, try to use the Holy Spirit and Satan and these intangibles in ways to kind of move you to do what they want you to do. And so, you know, I, and this actually happened, Lee, I had someone who, and I've been, and I haven't really talked to him in a while. But it was someone. It was a church that I spoke at back in twenty. Oh, good. I don't know. Ten years ago. I mean, nine, ten years ago. It was a long time ago. And uh, the at the time, you know, I was still. This was when I was kind of in my questioning phase. Transitionary uh, phase. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I don't know if I was transitioning. I was just kind of questioning still at this point. But the uh, I, I, the preacher there, you know, I met him and his family. And at that time, I think his daughter was like, I don't know. 13 or 14 or 15 or something, you know, she was, she was like early teens and, um, she, you know, reached out to me in her, uh, you know, early twenties, mid twenties, um, not too long ago. She said, um, you know, I remember you coming and preaching at our church <laughs> and I just recently, you know, came across some of your material and how you've changed and, you know, I, I, I've been thinking some of these th same things. And she wrote, she just, this was in an email. And she said, um, but I explained this to my, my dad, who's a preacher still. He told me, you know, that you're a false teacher and a well-known false teacher. Um, you know, he used that phrase again. And uh, he said, uh, she said, you know, when I first started changing, she remembered all they were talking about is how sad it was because I no longer cared about the truth. No, that was the way it was. For, I never longer cared about the truth. And she said, but I'm reading some of your material and it's making a lot of sense. And I told that to my dad. But my dad told me that, you know, you're you're a very, very dangerous false teacher. 
and well-known false teacher, but and I'm she's like, and I'm scared even contacting you because of what I've been told about you, you know. So I messaged her back and I'm like, hey, you know, I appreciate you reaching out. You know, I'm I'm interested in helping any way I can, but you know, this has to be something that you want to do and your own conviction, but I can point you to different resources and reasons why I changed. And I said, but at the end of the day, you know, you need to be willing not to trust in traditions, but you need to be willing to, uh, to follow wherever the evidence leads. Yeah. And she wrote back, she goes, well, that's exactly what that's, these are exactly the types of things my dad said you would say. And, uh, she's like that, that makes me believe, you know, maybe I can't trust you. And, and, uh, and I never heard anything back from her again. Um, so I don't know if she's still listening. If you are, you know, Hey, you know, here to help anyway, I can still, but it's just one of those things. I mean, when you, when you, when you, if you, if, if you're a kid and you walk by a dog who's barking and the parent says, that's a dangerous dog, that's a dangerous dog, you know? And then every day, you know, you, you walk by that same dog and he's just barking behind the fence. That's a dangerous dog. That's a bad dog. And then finally you get old enough and you're walking by yourself and, and you realize, well, maybe that dog wasn't barking out of, out of meanness as much as he was just barking because he's a dog and he was playful and having a good time. And then you go over to pet the dog and, but they say now, you know, Hey, if, if the dog starts, you know, if he, if he puts his tongue out, that's when, you know, he's about to eat you. When a dog was wagging his tail and he puts his tongue out, that's when, you know, he's about to attack you. And that's all you've been told, and you've never experienced anything different. You go over to the dog, and here comes the dog, you know, playfully barking, wagging his tail, and got his tongue out. And, oh, no, my parents said this is what's going to happen. The dog's about to attack me. You know, completely wrong. But that's what you've been told. That's what you've been conditioned. And so whenever – I'm just saying that to say whenever you're, you know, you're, you're seeing that fear and that you are being groomed to see people a certain way, to see them as another, to see them as the bad guy instead of just someone who disagrees. That is a sign of manipulation. Um, you know, that is a definitive sign that that you are being manipulative. Once again, maybe the people who are teaching these things, they don't even realize it, but that is a form of manipulation. Um, and, you know, just kind of cutting off anyone who is not like you, banishing them and also punishing them. So that they serve as an example that if you do, if anybody else ever does this, this is what's going to happen to you. So any questions they did have, now they're going to have to suppress because they're terrified of what might happen. Um, and then finally, the, the third thing um, that I was going to say, and then, and then after that, this will be it, is just go, going back to uh, your framework. You know, is your framework, I'm convicted because I've studied and this is what I really believe. And if there was no, you know, fear of if I get this wrong, I'm going to be tortured or I'm going to explode at any minute or I'm walking on a landmine. But, you know, this is just what I've studied and this is what I've concluded. Therefore, this is my conviction. Or I really haven't studied it much outside of, of, of the people who've taught this to me and who've reinforced this to me. But if I do believe something different, I'm told that I'm going to go to hell and I'm going to be tortured forever and ever and ever and ever. That's why I predominantly believe what I believe. If you do, you're, you're probably being manipulated. Um, you know, you're being coerced to believe that. And you, have, you do have conviction, but it's not conviction out of love. It's not conviction out of, you know, faith. It's conviction out of fear. It's conviction out of, you know, you're just terrified. It's con conviction out of coercion and manipulation. So those would be those would be the kind of the signs to look for. And if that is happening, 
Start questioning that. Start talking to people who are on the outside. And, uh, you know, that, that movie or that documentary, Keep, uh, Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey, you know, even some of the ones who escaped, they were trying to get their, their family or sisters to escape or friends to escape. And, you know, they're like, well, the prophet said this is what's going to happen. The prophet said that, you know, he was going to go to jail because of, of doing the right thing. And the prophet said, you're going to try to pull me away and all those types. I mean, we look at that and we're like, how can people not see right through that? But we oftentimes do the same thing. Yep. I mean, we do the same thing. Well, we, when we are willing to say things, I think I discussed this in uh, the episode on the genocides, you know, we're willing to say, if God wanted me to kill an innocent child right now, I would. Does that not get you to rethink everything you believe about God? Because if not, that scares me. That, yes. that is terrifying that you are willing to make comments like that because what that says is you've abandoned all critical thought. There's nothing, if you're convinced you're supposed to do, that you wouldn't do. There are no guardrails. There's no boundaries when we believe that God is 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 that immoral that God can that God is moral that no matter what God does if God says hey Kevin I want you to go and rape 12 year old women I'm telling you that and if I believe that well that must be okay if there's nothing nothing put in place to stop that why why like do I not ever sit back and think huh maybe this isn't right and then we want to make fun of the jihadist who are who are gonna you know go in and make a terrorist attack in order to have their forty virgins when they die? We're gonna criticize that while we're literally, literally operating off the exact same framework, abandoning critical thought, abandoning compassion, abandoning our God-given logical humanity simply because we think we have to follow quote unquote our conviction because we've been coerced into it through fear. It's crazy and it's ridiculous. Yet people buy into it day after day. I did, you did. So many people still do. Well, and I think the biggest evidence of that not being the best way forward, even if it doesn't get to the point where you're actually causing like literal 100% objective harm to other people, it's you're entrenched within that because that's all you know. And I think you've done a really good job of explaining that. But whenever you begin to realize it, that the entire construct that I've lived my life under has been based on fear and I have been manipulated and coerced to think that way. It, it does something to you. Like you said, yeah. you can't unsee it once you've seen it. And I, I really don't have much else to add. I think you said it beautifully. I, th I think that you have put it very, very, very well tonight. Yeah. And it may not be to the, yeah, to, to your point, you know, it may not be to the extreme of where you're willing to go kill someone or to the extreme of, you know, you're, you're willing to, to cause physical harm or, but it, it could be, you know, well, I'm going to stay in this abusive marriage because my preacher's telling me, you know, this is what God says I need to do. And so I'm just going to allow this person to abuse me and my family. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm willing to uh, stay within, you know, a, a toxic environment or community because I'm being told this is what I have to do. And this is why I think looking at the fruit of our actions is so important. I talk about this in my book, too, because Jesus said, ultimately, you know, you know, a tree by the fruit it bears, not by what it claims, not by how smart or knowledgeable it is or not by how well spoken the, the, the tree is. Right. But by the fruit it bears. And we've talked about how our views did not bear good fruit. It was chaotic. It was divisive. It was combative. It was it, it basically 
was characteristic of the fruit of the of the works of the flesh, not the fruit of the spirit. And you know, so even if it's my what would seem minor, that might be on the surface minor. When we're allowing ourselves to believe these things, it could end up, you know, it, it could end up to leading to a bigger problem. But it is a bigger problem because of the way we're being led anyway. It's already a problem, even if it has yet to manifest itself in your life, because you're allowing yourself already to be led, you know, through that fear, through that coercion, through that manipulation. And so if you can do it on small things, then what's to stop you from doing it on big things? You know, if I can, if I can, um, you know, kind of groom someone to say, well, just trust, trusting God in this matter, and it's a very small thing, then what's going to keep them from being willing to trust God in the very big, quote unquote, big things when they're asked to suppress their critical thought and compassion because this is what God would have you to do. So even if it seems, you know, and I've said this, Lee, I think you've probably said it too in times past, you know, even if it seems wrong, God wants you to do it. It's always right. And, you know, it's, it's even, even when we don't think it seems right, you know, there's a way that seems right to the world. It's a way that seems right to man, but in the end is death. We have to do the way of God, even if it seems hard, even if it seems difficult, even if it if it attacks our modern sensitivities, we still have to do it. And we say stuff like that, and it sounds good, and we can quote Bible. But once again, the framework is all about fear. It's 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 never questioning, well, hey, I'm not I'm just questioning our interpretation. You know, it's not we never even think about that. We just assume well what this guy's saying is true. We have to realize, well maybe we we need to question our interpretation. We need to question our understanding. We need to question our approach, our expectation, and so on and so forth. But when people are so hooked and they're bought into this idea of the sovereignty of God. They're bought into this idea of well if you know if, if this is what I have to do, I mean, if I have to cut off my right hand, if, you know, if that's what I have to do, then I've got to do that. If I can't do this, then I can't do whatever. I'll be as consistent as I need to be. Once again, it leads to complete chaos and there are no guardrails. There are no boundaries. There are no limits to the type of harm that can be, will be, has been historically committed in the name of Bible interpretation and following God because of the motivation behind it is not faith, but fear. I am so glad that you brought up fruits because that's where I was going to go. And then I ended up going a different direction and lost that train of thought. But it, that's, that's so true though, because coer religion as coercion and manipulation, it is predicated on fear and it is predicated upon a, almost a demand of checking your brain at the door. Yes. It, it, it's, yeah. it's almost absolutely true across the board, but if it's, what kind of fruit is your religion bearing? Is it leading to love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Is it leading to those things or is it leading to more fear? Is the way you, you promote your faith, does it lead to love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control? Does it lead to the fruit of the spirit or does it beget more fear? Do it, are you, it, as we go out, I, I can't help but think about coronavirus and the way that it spreads and any virus and how contagious it is. Fear can be contagious, but so can love. And whenever we go out and we begin to promote our perspectives, we begin to promote our faith. We begin to share our faith with those that are in the world. 
what fruit does that bear? And and if we look at churches across the board, and this may be a whole other topic, and I know we've said what we wanted to say, and it's it's time to shut her down, but I can't help but wonder if you look at all of these churches that are on the decline across the board in the United States, around the entire world, whenever you look at that and you look at those numbers, look at the growth of the church in the first century, look at the growth yeah. of the church in the second century in the church's infancy, it exploded and grew. So if, if, if what you're promoting is what fruit is it bearing? If it's not bearing good fruit, if it's bearing other followers of Jesus. And I do believe that people that follow Jesus, even if it happens through coercion and manipulation, there are people that follow Jesus. They belong to Jesus. Sure. Yeah. 100%. I think we agree on that, but is this follower of Jesus following him based on fear? Are they getting baptized in a pool full of stinky, nasty, disgusting water that, I mean, it's a good thing I probably held my nose and kept my mouth closed because I would have ended up with like hepatitis or something getting baptized in that water. Is it leading to fear in which people are afraid? And is that fear begetting more fear? Because people don't want to be a part of a system that makes them afraid. Yeah, People no. don't want to be a part of a system that doesn't lend itself to joy. They don't want to be a part of a system that adds nothing of value or nothing of positivity to their life. So if that's the case, maybe that's a good way that you can assess yourself. Have I been cajoled? Have I been coerced? Have I been manipulated? And am I operating from a place of fear? Because I don't want to share the gospel. And I say that in quotes, I don't want to share my faith with somebody else because I know deep down inside, it's not compelling. It's just going to lead to more fear. Fear begets fear. Trauma begets trauma. But anyway, man, this has been a good conversation. This has been a good episode. It's, I think it's timely. And I think it's definitely one that I wish that I were a little bit on more on for tonight. I feel like I've kind of been all over the place, but that being what it is, I still think that there's a lot of benefit that could come from this because coercion and manipulation, it is most definitely a, a feature within high controlling, high authoritarian fundamentalist religions. Well, and people, you know, what I, what I emphasize, um, is, and I, once again, I talk about this in my book. Uh, I really do. Uh, I talk about how you know Jesus taught that his his way was light and easy. Um, you know, my my his, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and he's come to set the oppressed free. And Paul reiterates that it's for freedom we've been set free. And people are like, well, yeah, but you know, for freedom you just can't do everything. You, you know, you just can't do anything you want to. And there, that's exactly true. Um, in fact, it's it's having a Christocentric attitudinal lifestyle that prevents us from just doing anything that we want to do. Because if I have a Christ-like love that do, is that is defined as doing no harm to a neighbor, and treating the others the way I want to be treated, that means there has already been a lot of things that are off limits. Because that means if I ever do anything that hurts you or hurts me, it's not in keeping with a Christ-like love. If I do anything that's to someone else that's not something I would want done to me, it's not keeping with a Christ-like love. And then when you get into bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the same thing is true. And so, no, it's 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 we're, we're correct in saying that we can't just do anything we want to. In fact, Paul even says, don't use your license 
to just do whatever you want, to just bite and devour one another. But instead, he says, use it to love and serve one another. In other words, use your freedom not as a means of selfishness, but as a means to serve and love one another. But even within that, it's not all about all these minute, specific, you know, uh, detailed laws and rules that if you just get one, you know, wrong, then you're out. I mean, how is that freedom? How can we say that we're living in freedom? How can we say that that's light and easy? I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. And so if someone is trying to teach you, and that's even, was that's why Jesus contrasted what the scribes and Pharisees were doing, and even what the law itself taught versus what he came to bring. And we want to say what Jesus was doing was making things more difficult? No. What sense does that make? Acts chapter 15, they said we can't even keep, the apostles couldn't keep the law. We can't, Jesus coming to make the law something that's impossible to keep even more difficult? No. He's saying, I, follow me, I'll take your burden. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Follow me, follow me. So if you're living a life that is not defined as light and easy and is a life of freedom, and it's you're living this because of your own choice, you're living this because of your faith, you believe this is the right thing, then you probably are in some form or fashion being manipulated or coerced through a bad religious system. Doesn't mean there's bad, you know, everybody in it's bad people. I think the Church of Christ is a horrible, horrible religious system. But I believe there's a lot of good folks within, and I believe they love the Lord, and I believe they're saved, but I believe that they could have so much more Christ-like happiness and freedom and joy uh, in their lives right now. And, and, and you know, instead of waiting until later, they could go ahead and be experiencing this. Um, there's a lot more we could be, that you know, that, that could be said, but I feel like we've covered it at least— a good introductory episode on this. This is probably something that we'll come back later. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely need to pick this thread up later because I don't feel like my brain has been firing on all <laughs> cylinders tonight. I've lost my train of thought. I haven't had much to say. So I'm really glad that you've been on tonight because I have not. But agreed. Hey, I think this has been a good, good conversation. I, I, feel, I feel like you're on. So, you know. Yeah, well. Like you're on. But uh <laughs> In but, any case, you know, yeah, I, I'm going to manipulate you to believe that you've been on uh, <laughs> and that you've been doing really well. No, but anyway, as, as we come to a close, you know, the main points are just realizing that a lot of manipulation and coercion in religion is coming from people who are have good hearts. They're well intended. They don't even realize that they're being manipulative or coer coercing people through fear because they themselves are caught up and trapped in it. And those who taught them were trapped in it. Those who taught them. So it's a it's like I said, it's it's a self uh, perpetuating system. I mean, it, it keeps happening over and over and over again. That's why we have to stop back or step back. You know, people have even told me, you know, Kevin, we th I think you're using too much critical thought and you're leaning too much on things like mercy and compassion and logic. And, I, and, and that scares me because when I hear people th say that, they're saying that as a negative. They're not saying that as a positive. <laughs> and, you know, it's like to, to think that critical thinking, to be at a point where we're afraid when someone is thinking critically, logically, and compassionately and merciful and think that's a bad thing, that's already a point that is, you know, okay, step back here. Look at what you're saying. Look at what you're saying is bad. Like, would you rather me think illogically? Would you rather me think 
without compassion and mercy? Would you rather me, you know, not use critical thought? Like what, what exactly are you accusing me of doing? That's not good. That's not right. So uh, I would just, I would just say, remember though, that most people have the best of intentions. Some don't, some are purposefully using it. I think there are people out there who they're not Christians. They know they're not Christians. They don't even believe in God, but they're using it for their benefit. But I think most people don't fit that category and that we just have to use critical thought and compassion and mercy and logic in order to to kind of talk some of these things through with other people and just the argument of humanity itself when we're you know leading to interpretations that are harming one another hurting each other um potentially putting others at risk of even you know of, of their life and and when are we going to think that maybe this isn't right? You know, we need to rethink the way that we're understanding God and faith. So make sure you're using faith and and not fear in your decision-making. Absolutely. And one of the things that I just, I, I can't help but but think about whenever we talk about this is just how afraid I was whenever I began to transition away from that fear-based faith from that fear-based religion that I held on to into this grace-centered one. And that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest reason why I want to share this with other people, why I want to share this with people that are where I was. It's exactly what you said before. It's so much better here where grace and mercy and love and compassion and truth and kindness and gentleness, all of those being foundational to faith, it's it's such a it's a much more rewarding faith. It's yeah. a more rewarding religion. It's a more rewarding experience. It's better in line and in keeping with Jesus and who he is and who he was and what he taught. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we want to share it with people because we have seen and reaped the benefit and we want to share that with other people. Yeah, and one thing before we close, you know, I had I had someone ask me. They said, "Well, Kevin, You've been wrong before. And even though you're saying you're experiencing happiness and joy and you see good fruit, what if, though, you're still wrong? And today, you know, what if I'm wrong now? And what if God is this God of wrath and terror and fear? And what if we had it right the first time? And I said, if that's the case, that's a God I want nothing to do with. Amen. And he looked at me and he said, I can't believe you would say that. I said, well, if that's the kind of God, and I've heard atheists say this, and I agree with them. That's the kind of God that, that you know, someone's wanting to follow. That is more of a demonic force. You know, I, I think Richard Dawkins, I don't know who it was. It may not be Richard Dawkins, but someone said, uh, you know, if, if, if I get to, to the judgment and this is the kind of God that there actually is, I'm going to tell him to go to hell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all the Christians, of course, oh, oh, I can't believe he said that. But, you know, the point is, is that if, if, if the, if the supreme being of this universe is a, is, is the, is a, is an abusive, a spiritual abusive, uh, coercive manipulator, who's, who's scaring people to follow him simply because he's going to torture them day and day and night because they didn't do exactly what he said. And that's the kind of God that does exist. I'm not going to follow that God. Throw me in hell. Likewise. Amen. And I don't think there's much more that can be said except to say, thank you for this conversation, man. Thank you for this topic idea. I think it's been a really good one. 
it's going to be beneficial to our listeners. I have no doubt. And to our listeners, thank you. We appreciate you. We are so thankful to have you. We love you and we appreciate you so much. If you appreciate what we're doing, give us that five-star review on iTunes. Share this podcast far and wide with your friends. Check out Kevin's book, too. You need to get it, Blinded by the Bible, available now on Amazon. It is phenomenal. Some of what we talked on tonight and some of what we touched on in this conversation will be found in that book. It is an excellent resource, and your life will be better for having read it. So thank you all so much. We appreciate you. If you need anything from us, if you want to drop us a line, if you want to tell us how terrible we are, if you want to tell us how much you love us, if you have questions or topic ideas, anything at all, drop us an email. We have our email in the show notes below. Thank you all so much. And we bid you all a good night.